unclean. Now, there's the irony, right? A year ago, this may have been a crazy question to ask or to even consider. But not anymore. Uh, The first person in our family who had COVID in August was my oldest son, William. And uh, we all treated him like he was unclean because he was unclean. Literally, as he would come out of his, he was in isolation, but every now and then, if he had to go to the bathroom or whatever, he would come out and he was wearing his mask in the house and the, the, the other kids would run from him, you know, they would scatter. Literally, if they would have heard this sermon, they would have yelled at him, unclean, unclean, and run. Well, later on, uh, I got COVID and uh, got to experience the isolation of staying in my room. I ate by myself. I slept by myself. I worked by myself. Uh, I would go out. I felt like I was kind of in prison. I would go out into the yard for exercise every now and then. And in fact, um, uh, where, where I live, I can get on a road where I can see for about a quarter mile. So I would go out there and walk and talk or even run sometimes, except when I would see other people walking I would like run back home because I was like I'm unclean I'm unclean you know and so in some ways when we ask this question or we consider this whole idea have you ever felt like you're unclean some of us can understand that with the pandemic but this is a far cry from one of the things that I experienced when I was over in India When I was in India, one of the joys of my time there was to sit down with a pastor and his wife and to hear kind of all that they were doing. And it was just amazing the work that they were doing and and the things that were taking place there in India. Um, But one of the things that really impacted me was hearing this pastor's, his wife's testimony. You see, she grew up in a very low caste When she would go to school, in fact, and kids, imagine this. Imagine how you would feel as when you sat in a seat that the teacher would come behind you and clean up after where you sat because you were unclean. Or you weren't allowed to use a certain water fountain. Or you weren't allowed to do certain things. The teacher treated you like you weren't able to learn. And not only did this happen in school, but it happened everywhere. And it was just because of her last name. It was just because of the position that she had been born in. And and I don't think in America we can quite understand how this sort of thing happens in other countries. Because in America, we love and we support and we tell stories about the American dream. How you can go from nothing and reach something great. And in some situations, in some countries, this just is not possible. The position you're born in, the family you're born into makes it to where the rest of society looks at you in a condemning way, like you are filthy, like you are less than human. In fact, if we're just frank here on Signal Mountain, we probably struggle with this idea in general. You know, we go into Pruitts or wherever or and you, you know, it's all middle class, upper middle class people and We just kind of go about our business. It's hard for us to imagine. It's hard for us to imagine something like this. You see, for me, for me, COVID was over in a relatively short period of time and my life was just restored. In fact, 
I am more clean than a lot of you because I've already had the virus. For this lady in India, Christ made all the difference in her life, and so she is now choosing to walk a different path, but others probably still look at her in the same way because of her last name. This morning, we are looking at a man that is in far worse condition than probably anything that we can think of. As we get to our text this morning, the first thing that it tells us is that a leper came to Jesus. Now, leprosy was a horrible disease. It's still around today, but it's treatable. We, we call it Hansen's disease in this day and age. Now, in biblical times, any skin disease that somebody had would be considered leprosy, but I think what we have going on here is the hardcore leprosy um, uh, that's, that's a horrible condition, and I think it's obvious from the context that that's what this man was going through. And this sickness was awful. Lesions, boils, some accounts of that the, that the person with leprosy that they would smell a certain way because of the skin condition. They would have nerve issues, lesions, discolorization of their skin. And, and some people, uh, when recounting this, or some people who have had walked through this, would say that one of the worst parts about it is the nerve damage, because in some cases, what would happen is that you wouldn't be able to feel things. And so people, and I heard some horrible stories and read some horrible stories that I'm squeamish, and so I don't want to make you squeamish or myself squeamish, but of appendages that end up being uh, cut off or being put into the fire because unable to feel, unable to, to, to feel the pain. And so what you would have is not only were these people feeling bad, but they looked awful. They looked awful. They smelled awful. This was a bad thing. In fact, there's a whole chapter in the book of Leviticus that's dealing with leprosy. In Leviticus chapter 13, and I just want to read you a couple of verses. In Leviticus chapter 13, verses 43 through 45, through 45 and 46, I'm sorry. As for the leper who has the infection, notice what happens here. So if the priest deems that this person has leprosy, his clothes shall be torn and the hair of his head shall be uncovered and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. And he shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And this normally, for the, this hardcore form of leprosy, lasts 30 years or usually the rest of someone's life. And so not only were you in physical discomfort, in physical pain, in physical bad shape, but then what happened is that you had to move outside of the camp into the wilderness. If you came in contact with anybody, they would know immediately that you had this condition because your clothes would be torn, your head would be uncovered, they would see the sores on your face, and oh yeah, by the way, you had to say, unclean, unclean. One of the... Accounts, one of the miracles that Luke gives us is of ten lepers. And that brings up this 
of ten lepers that came in contact with Jesus. And that brings up this whole idea of it's one thing if, if you had it and were living outside the camp, but it seems to indicate that quite potentially what was happening by the New Testament times is that you would have whole groups of people, of lepers who would live outside the camp, who were all infected and infected with this disease. Can you imagine... Could you imagine if your only friend, if your only companion, if your only social uh, connection was someone else who had the same horrific disease that you had? Not only was there physical, not only was there social, But there was deep spiritual and psychological damage that went with this as well. There are several accounts in the Bible and outside of the Bible during Old Testament and New Testament times of leprosy. But I want to read just one short snippet in uh, the book of Numbers. And I want to pull out two things that were very common thoughts with leprosy. In Numbers chapter 12, verses 9 through 13, gives this account. It says, so the anger of the Lord burned against them and he departed. But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. As Aaron turned towards Miriam, behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, I beg you, do not account this sin to us in which we have acted foolishly and in which we have sinned. O do not let her be like one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. And Moses cried out to the Lord saying, O God, heal her, I pray. Now two things are going on that I want want you to see in this text to add to the misery. One of the things, it's through stories like this, which got into the psyche of God's people and got into the psyche of uh, communities of people where it became that sometimes God did curse people with leprosy, but the psyche evolved into that everyone who had leprosy was cursed by God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine adding to the misery of the physical, social, now this psychological pain of God is cursing me for some reason? There's no hope. And the other thing from this account, and and we get this from other writers as well. In fact, Josephus said the same thing, that he was a church, he was a historian. And that is, is that one of the best descriptions to describe someone who had leprosy was that they were dead. Did you notice in that text? As one who is dead. And this is the way that someone who had leprosy, this is the way in which they were thought of. They were thought of in this way, that they were one who was dead. And as far as society was considered, that's what they were. In fact, there were rules uh, like if a leprous person stuck his head inside of a room, there were rules about what should happen and what needed to happen to the room. There were rules about if the wind was blowing in a certain way and a leprous person was uh, upwind from you about kind of what needed to happen and how you might be contaminated. 
what you need to see and feel and hear is that a man who had leprosy had lost everything. And not only physically, family, wealth, but he also lost his status. And I think it's clear to see that he also lost what it meant to be a human, what it meant to be a person, his dignity, his manhood, and his hope. One author puts it this way, that leprosy was a painless hell that was experienced day after day. And what I want you to hear is it was more than a physical hell. It was also a soul, psychological and social hell because this disease defined who you were. So when we see this in verse 40, that a leper came to Jesus, this is amazing. This is amazing. This isn't just a random sick person coming to Jesus. This is an amazing statement that this man who was put in this place of society, that he came to Jesus. And one of the things I want you to pay attention to this morning as we go throughout this account is that there is more going on here than just a person with leprosy being healed. And I'm going I'm, I'm to walk you through this. And Mark often does this. There's more to this story. Kind of like when Mark talk, feeds, talks about Jesus feeding the 5,000 and then follows the feeding up with talking about Jesus being the bread of life. Or when the blind man is healed and he can see. And Mark follows that story up with Jesus asking the disciples, who do you say that I am? Or what do you see when you look at me? Are you still blind? So there's more going on to this story as well. And, and, and I want you to see it. Notice, notice his posture. He came to Jesus, verse 40, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him. We don't really know why. Maybe he kind of knew who Jesus was. Maybe he believed in Christ. He had heard the story. He had heard the message and he was coming and he was bowing. Maybe he was coming because out of shame of not feeling like he had a place in society. Maybe he was there because he was fearful of what would happen to him because he had come into town and he had confronted Jesus. Look at the question. Look at the question. Notice. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He didn't say, will you heal me? He said, if you are willing. He did not doubt the power of Jesus to healing. I think he had probably heard about the power. That's why he was there. He knew that Jesus possessed the power to physically heal him. But this is not all that he was asking. He wasn't asking just to be healed. He was asking to be cleansed. And this speaks to the nature of this condition. Of this man saying, I am undeserving. I am an outcast. I am in this marginalized group. Are you willing to look upon me and to cleanse me? 
I think we miss this often as we read this account. This man was repulsive to society. He was avoided at all cost. When he would come into town, people would scatter and he comes to Jesus and says, are you willing to heal me? Clean, cleanse me. I think this question points us to the reality that he was asking for more than being physically healed. He was asking to be made whole. He was asking to be restored, not just physically. Now, Jesus does something scandalous here. And Jesus, Jesus is the kind of guy that it does a lot of scandalous things. In fact, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law, um, I didn't talk about the scandalous thing that it was that Jesus would heal Peter's mother-in-law in the way in which He healed her. In this day and age, for Jesus to go into the house, into an inner room where a woman was lying there and to touch her would have been a taboo. We don't think about that in our society, but it would have been a taboo. This would have made the town talk. And Jesus goes in, grabs her by the hand, and heals her. Notice verse 41. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out His hand and He touched him. Did Jesus make a mistake? Did Jesus get so excited that He did something that He shouldn't have done? I'm kind of thinking here of maybe a child who you, you know, arrive at a place that they really want to go to and they get out and they know they're supposed to wait to hold your hand and they zoom across the, uh, the parking lot. Is this what happened to Jesus? That He forgot where He was and He touched this man and then was like, oh no! Would Jesus now have to go into quarantine? At the very least, would Jesus have to go to the priest and offer Himself and let them inspect Him to see if He had any sores or lesions so that He could be deemed clean again so that He could enter back into society? Think about this. Did Jesus have to touch Him? To heal Him? No. Jesus could have said, leprosy, be gone. And if Jesus would have uttered those words, what would have happened to the leprosy? Gone. Jesus could have given a life lesson and said, hey, go wash yourself three times in the Jordan and then come out. And Jesus would have been right and okay to do any of those things. But Jesus is making a point. And Mark is making a point as he is telling us what happened here. And the point is, is that Jesus touched him. And Jesus is pointing towards that this is more than a physical healing. You know, I think I only spent, I don't know how long, I, by the time I found out I had COVID, I was already almost over it. And so I only had four or five days in isolation. But it was tough not to touch another human being for four or five days. Not to hug my wife. Not to 
for Flannery to be able to give me a hug or for the kids to be able to give me a hug. In fact, I would joke with them, I'm coming to hug you, and they would scream, you know. And it was kind of tough. Not nearly as tough as, you know, I think about this pastor's wife in India who would see probably the other kids playing on the playground and being able to maybe hold hands or to, you know, do things that kids do and that she was not allowed to touch another child because she was unclean. She was not from their caste system. I wonder how long this man with leprosy had been going along without ever being touched by another human being. I wonder his amazement, I wonder if he backed up when Jesus reached out to touch him. So I want to ask you the question this morning, and our text tells us, why did Jesus touch him? And it's a very simple answer. Verse 41, moved with compassion. Now, some of your translations this morning may use other words. Some of your translations may use the word pity. That's fine, except it kind of denotes this whole thing of this lowly, oh, I'm having pity on this poor person. And that's not what this is about. Some translations, um, not many, will use the word anger. Filled with anger. There was a manuscript that, uh, that, that seemed to be the case. And so then you have people who think that that manuscript is right, saying, was he angry at the disease? Was he angry at society? I think what we have when we have the word, compassion captures best what's going on. And the word here in the original language means that he was moved deep down with inside himself, moved in his guts. That he felt something. And then it was through this feeling, this, this compassion for this man, these deep feelings deep down inside that Jesus reaches out and it moves him to love him and to touch him. Look at verse 45. And I know I'm skipping around here. But bear with me. Jump over to verse 45 with me. And see the result of what happened as Jesus uh, touched him. and Sent him away. And he went out and began to proclaim it freely what had happened to him. He spread the news around to such an extent. Here's what I want you to notice. That Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stayed out in unpopulated areas and they were coming to him from everywhere. What I want you to see is that Jesus touches this man, heals him, cleanses him, and the result of the end of what happened is that Jesus had to go outside the camp. That Jesus could not be inside the city. This wasn't because he was defiled. It wasn't because... Um, something happened and he was unclean. In fact, look, it says that people from everywhere were coming out to see him. There's an irony here. Why were they coming out to see him? Well, we'll notice that in verse 43, after Jesus heals this man, he sternly, uh, another way to translate this is that he snorted. It's this deep, 
he snorted. He sternly warned him uh, and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. Now, we're not going to get into this whole idea that we've seen several times. We're not going to tackle it yet of why does Jesus continuously do this? Why does Jesus continually tell people, don't tell people who I am? I'll just give you the one line answer and we'll come back to it later. Uh, is that Jesus, in some sense, Jesus wanted to be in charge of his own message, right? And in another sense, that his time had not yet come. And so he didn't want prematurely for them to try to force him to be king or to come and crucify him prematurely. So Jesus would often tell people, hey, uh, don't go do anything. Don't go tell people. But the, but the part that I want you to see is that because he told people, because this letter told people that it forced Jesus outside the camp. And what we are to see as people, he is so popular that people were coming from so many places around to see him that he couldn't go into a city because it wouldn't hold. It would cause such a disruption. And what we are to see from this is that touching this leprous man did not defile Jesus. Here's the point. When Jesus comes in contact with leprosy, It's not Jesus that needs to be worried. It's the leprosy that needs to be worried. Do you see that? The leprosy is no match for Him. Jesus can't be defiled because He is the healer. Leprosy can't defile Him. It is amazing here. We see this picture of Jesus that not only is He willing to touch and cleanse a leper, but this same Jesus is willing to eat with sinners, to eat with tax collectors, to associate with those who are outcast in society. And from the religious um, sect, what you see over and over is Jesus putting himself in situations to which others would look at him and say, unclean, he's dirty. But again, over and over and over, what we see is that Jesus can't be made unclean. He makes unclean things clean. Now, follow me here. When we see this leprous man come, comes to Jesus, he bows down and he asks to be cleansed. He asks to be healed. What we we are not seeing is a formula for physical healing in the text. Some people have manipulated God's word into saying this, and that is not what we see in this text. I believe that God still heals today. We pray for people to be healed today, and he, he, he does that on occasion. But there's no formula to get yourself healed. However, however, I do believe the pattern of this leprous man is a pattern that still works today if what you're asking for is to be cleansed. Notice the emphasis. Again, I want to walk through this. Notice the emphasis of this man. He said, if you are willing, can you make me clean? In verse 41, Jesus says, I am willing, be cleansed. Verse 42, notice this. Notice the two things that happened. Immediately the leprosy left him. So he was healed. And he was cleansed. 
And then in verse 44, he says, Say nothing, but go show yourself to the priest. Offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And I want to ask you another question. Why did Jesus send the leprous man to the priest? He already cleansed him. You saw it in the text. Who do you think had the power to cleanse? Jesus or the priest? Jesus. So why in the world is Jesus sending this man to the priest? Because Jesus cared so much about this man and his dignity and his manhood and being restored that he sent, them to, he sent him to the avenue so that the priest could declare him cleansed so that he could go back into society and he could go there restored, restored and cleansed. In a real way, a man who was dead to society had come alive. So when we see this formula, we see this is a formula for spiritual healing. And here's what I want us all to know. We are all unclean. You and I, outside of Christ, are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are unclean. We are filthy. We are dirty. Our sin and our guilt is on us. But if you come to Jesus and you bow before Him and you ask Him to take away your sin, the God's Word tells us that all who call upon the name of the Lord will what? Be saved. He is willing. He touches us. He makes us whole. Notice the imagery here. He takes on our sin. He who knew no sin became sin. He takes on our sin, our guilt, our shame, and it is nailed to the cross. We bear it no more. We are buried with Him in His death. We are raised in His resurrection. And we are called to live a new life. And so what I want to see, what I want to ask, is are, are you willing? Are you willing to boldly come to Christ, bringing only your sin and shame, and say, Lord, are you willing? Now, a problem that I see when I am often sharing with folks about the gospel, it's, it's always interesting to me when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, I'm talking about God's willingness to love them, and it's almost like what happens is when we're talking about the sin part, the brain is engaged. And when I talk about the salvation part, the brain stops. Because one of the things that is often said to me is, Lewis, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. And then what's laid out to me is this plan of cleaning up your life so that Christ will accept you. And what I want you to see is that's not how it works. You don't clean up your life to come to Christ. You come to Him as you are, and He touches you. And He cleanses you. Jesus does more for this man and cleanses him of his sickness and leprosy. He cleanses his diseased heart, his diseased mind, 
in his diseased ego. Can you imagine? We can't. But try to put yourself in the place of this little girl who grew up in India in this caste system. Can you imagine her sitting with maybe a missionary or or a pastor or whatever and somebody's telling her that God loves her? Can you imagine the power of that? Do you think in India, people in this caste system, do you think that this is somebody that thinks that they have worth that they're bringing? Or do you think this is somebody who has grown up in such a horrific environment that they ask the real and right question when they hear the good news of the gospel, and that is, is he willing? You know, one of the things, the church I was at before I came here, Crossroads, we, um, we had about 19 acres um, across from East Hamilton High School. I know that uh, on this side of town, we don't go over the river very much unless we are dragged over there. Uh, but beautiful country out there, and we uh, had this beautiful acreage. And um, as a congregation, as elders, as we prayed, we decided we were going to move to a higher needs area. So we moved to Rossville. And it was interesting, as we would hold meetings where we were talking about these plans, um, it was very interesting some of the questions that we fielded or, or some of the things that had to take place. One of the things that we had to rip out of our vocabulary was that uh, as we were talking about this, um, one of the things that creeped in was that often the word them was used. Like there was a distinction. Them and us. And so we really lovingly and gently, in our own hearts, in our own language, and, and, to, and to our people there at Crossroads, had to, had to try to reorient the language and say us. And then we were asked questions like this. No joke. We had donuts on Sunday mornings was a big thing at the church. And uh, so it would be like, what if they eat too many donuts? What if they get into the refrigerator and take things they're not supposed to take? And what was amazing to see, once we got over to Rossville and we spent some time there, and it really was, uh, people just wandered in kind of off, off the street and would come into the, to the gathering. Um, it, what, two things were amazing to me. Number one is that most of the people who came in would kind of look at the donuts or that we began to have a Wednesday night meal. They would kind of sit in the back. And it was almost as if they were asking, are you willing to give me a donut? They felt out of place. They felt shame and guilt in their position. And one of the most amazing things that happened is that the same lady who was asking and so concerned about the donuts was often, by the end of my time there, the one that would go and be, and be taking them by the hand, touching them and saying, it's okay, come on, come over here, what do you want? Did you get enough? Do you want more? I'm curious, I'm curious, 
Do we believe that Jesus Christ changes everything? Do you believe that what, no matter what society or other people around you may say about you, that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that He has changed you? Do you believe that you are now one of His sons and one of His daughters? How crazy would it be, and we're moving towards an end here, how crazy would it be if this man, this leper, goes in, he's touched by Jesus, healed, cleansed, he goes to the priest, they look him over, they're like, yep, you're clean. Enter back into society. And he headed out. He lived a day or two. And then he went back and he said, you know, I just don't feel clean. And he puts back on the garments, rips them, and starts going in with his hand over his mouth saying, unclean, unclean. We would look and say, that's crazy. How often do we do the same thing? If we're honest with ourselves, many times this is how we treat the cleansing from which Christ cleanses us. And so one of the applications that I want you to take away from this is that if you are His, you are His child. And so when you start to condemn yourself, I want you to hear me say, don't you speak about God's child that way. Other question that I would ask. Who do you deem unclean? What type of people might you look at and say unclean? What person... Would you be tempted if you saw come into the church? Would you tend to steer away from? I have heard horror stories and I have been to churches where if you wore a ball cap into the church, then the deacon would escort you right out the back. And while it's easy to pick on that, one of the things that's harder is for us to look at our own soul and our own life and then to consider the question, might Jesus use you to touch someone that you deem as unclean so that this person can be cleansed and become a child of God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are so good and so great. God, I pray that we be a people who rejoice in your great love and your great compassion and your great mercy and that we would be a people who begin to look more and more like you and one of the ways we do that is by having the same love that you have for others lord give us these hearts it's in your holy name that we pray amen now we